Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today's episode of the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. Putting in some new windows, new door. It'll be pretty exciting, right? It can be a little intimidating because sometimes you don't even know where to begin. Let me help you out. First of all, you got to go with Pella, duh. And within that, there are a couple options you can uh, go to start. You can schedule a free in-home consultation. That's right, free. You're going to be able to get a Pella expert out to sit down with you, look at your home, and they're going to be able to get a Greg McDermott, Scott Frost, Fred Hoiberg-esque type of game plan that fits your budget, your home, your wants, and your needs. That's one option. Or you can head out to the showroom. Showroom's really cool. Sometimes... You know, for, for me, I'm like a visual person. I got to see it. Sometimes it actually helps to see the window and see the door and open it and close it to get a better feel for exactly what you're going to be putting into your home. That is also a great option. Anywhere you go, you got to make sure that you are going with Pella. Give them a call, 402-493-1350, or check them out online at PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. All right, uh, on the pod today. Got three topics, three thoughts, and uh, we're going to get out of here. I had, a, I had a little bit of my old radio show called Three and Out. That's kind of what this is. Three topics, three thoughts, and we're out of here. And uh, before we get started, I, I want to make sure I remind everybody, make sure you're subscribing to the podcast. It's pretty easy to do. Just click that subscribe button. That way you don't miss a single episode of any of the pod that I throw out there. Got some good stuff cooking up uh, as hopefully sports are, are going to be coming back. And so we'll be able to uh, to have some, some good things on the pod. But click subscribe, leave a rating, leave a review. All that stuff uh, certainly helps me, but it also helps you as well. Okay, three topics are out of here. Uh, I, I want to start with this, start, start with some Nebraska football. So I got a tweet after my last wine pod with Bo Root. And it's from Eddie. And Eddie uh, tweets at me. He, he said, great episode with Bo about J.D. Spielman. How do you feel or look at him being the 14th Husker to leave this offseason? Could be another wine pod conversation. Love the show. And uh, it's, it's a good question. And, Eddie, I wrote that topic down uh, for the wine pod and just didn't get to it. Maybe it was because we were a little tipsy at the end of it and sometimes you, you get a little forgetful after a whole bottle of Pinot Noir. But... Uh, I, I wanted to get to it, Bo. Didn't get to it, so I'll tackle it now. So, as Eddie points out, you know, f- uh, 14th Husker to leave this uh, uh, this offseason, which is a lot. And what is maybe more eye-opening is a grand total of 32 players have left in two years since Frost took over. 32 players in two years. That's a big number right there. So... To answer the question, am I concerned? No, I'm not concerned. I, I don't want to totally dismiss it and render it meaningless, you know, but when, when there's a coaching change, transfers and players leaving and roster attrition are kind of just part of the deal. 
Like that just that that kind of it's kind of like when you move houses, you're you, you know like you're gonna you're gonna have a lot of boxes, right? Like it's just like some some things in life when they happen, they come with something else. It's just how it is. It's just how it is. Transfers, players leaving roster attrition are part of the deal when there's a coaching change, especially when the coach is basically in total rebuild mode, which which Frost is. And oftentimes when there's a coaching change, you see the number of transfers spike. And that that makes sense to me. Now, if this is still happening three, four years from now, whatever, th- then that's a different discussion. But right now, with the situation Frost inherited and task at hand, it doesn't surprise me or concern me that you've seen a lot of players leave. I mean, for example, to get to get specific to the last pod that we did and, and the topical one of J.D. Spielman leaving, I mean, J.D. Spielman leaving and transferring from Nebraska says more about J.D. Spielman than it does Scott Frost, in my opinion. That's just how I look at it. J.D. leaving says more about J.D. than it does Frost. J.D. Spielman has what 99% of players are seeking. Prominent role, focal part of the game plan, tons of touches, tons of targets, catching the ball, scoring touchdowns, huge impact on winning and losing, you know, big stature in the locker room. Like, that's that's pretty much what all players want. So, J.D. Spielman walking away from that, in my opinion, says more about J.D. than it does Scott Frost. But with all the roster turnover, if you take a step back, it kind of makes sense. If you kind of just put a pen to paper and 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 write it all out and 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 think it all the way through. I mean, think think about Mike Riley and his types of players and and that culture, and then think about Scott Frost and his types of players and the culture he wants to establish. Not a great fit, right? Those two, those two images you conjured up in your mind, they, they don't necessarily mesh overly well. That's the first thing. And then the other thing I, I don't think has, has been talked about enough as it pertains to this conversation. Think about the first recruiting class for Scott Frost. Think about that period of time. There was a sequence of events that was tough and almost unprecedented in a lot of different ways. So Scott Frost decided, you know, after he after he takes the Nebraska job, Scott Frost decided he wanted to coach Central Florida in the bowl game after taking the Nebraska job. Noble, and I get it, and I actually thought it was pretty cool, but there's no question it makes his his Nebraska life tougher. No doubt about it. When you're going from Orlando to Lincoln to Lincoln to Orlando and practice and this, that. Then during that time, so that that in and of itself is hard, right? But then during that time, you have the rule change for the early December signing period taking place for the first time ever. Very first year of having a signing day in mid-December was right when Frost is taking the job at Nebraska. So think about it. In about three or four, in about a three or four week span, in December of 2017, Scott Frost takes the Nebraska job. He has to get his staff in place at Nebraska. Now, luckily, the whole staff was coming with him from Central Florida to Nebraska. But still, there's a lot of a, a lot of you know you got to cross a lot of T's, dot a lot of I's, a lot of things you got to put into place contractually with all that, and they had to do it fast. Then 
Frost has to coach Central Florida in the bowl game, be at practices, get his team ready to play Auburn to finish a complete undefeated season. It's a lot of work there. All while he's doing that, he has to try to figure out and sign a recruiting class for Nebraska by mid-December. I mean, wow. It's a lot going on. And I think with all that going on, you're probably going to miss a little bit more on kids in that class, right? Whether that is evaluating evaluating physical talent or the mental makeup and personality fit for what your program is trying to become in Lincoln, Nebraska. When you do things in a rushed fashion, it can be much harder to get everything right. What do they say, like 50% of all marriages ended in divorce? Well, I'd like to see the number of uh, div- <laughs> that what that number looks like for shotgun weddings in Vegas, right, where you can go and get... I bet those numbers are a little high because you're rushing things, right? And listen, I'm not trying to make excuses for Scott Frost and the, and the staff. I'm just pointing out that that period of time and how it makes sense when you are taking the Nebraska job, putting a staff together, trying to get Central Florida ready to play Auburn in a bowl game, trying to evaluate the high school class and needs and set up visits and 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 go see guys in in-home visits. Oh, and by the way, you have to also evaluate the current Nebraska roster too. And all that coincides with the first ever early signing day in mid-December? I don't know. It, to me, it makes sense that you're seeing some some misses, right? And see some guys leaving. So there's there's that. And then there's the harsh reality of losing and how that makes everything harder. Back-to-back losing seasons in the first two years, I mean, back-to-back losing seasons oftentimes can create issues for, for everyone, right? Losing sucks. Losing's no fun. Losing can make players want to change teams and losing can make coaches want to change players. That's just the reality of the deal. That's just that's how it goes sometimes. So there you go. That's how, that's how I explain it or look at it, I guess. Am I concerned with all the roster turnover? You know, 14th player to leave this offseason, 32 in two years. I'm not. I'm not. Because if I if I were to come on here and say I am concerned, that, that would kind of insinuate that that I think something's wrong with Scott Frost. And I just don't I just don't think there is. I just don't I don't see it that way. I I think all the turnover and transfers can be explained for all the reasons I just laid out. All right, topic number one. Topic number two. Because I kind of feel like the the elephant in the room for every sports conversation is like the coronavirus and sports and what the COVID and college football season and the virus and college basketball season, what all that's going to look like and all that, right? Like that's kind of the elephant in, in the room for every conversation. And, you know, with that in mind, as far as like college football, the season itself, it, it certainly feels like things are trending towards the season kind of starting on time. It's what it kind of feels like. 
right? We're starting to get players back on campus. There's starting to be dates set for when the, you know these workouts can happen and then this can happen and then that can happen. Now, come the fall, what, what is all this going to look like? Who knows? What's the schedule, fans in the stands, et cetera, et cetera. Who, who the hell knows? Here's what I do know. The most important part of this season for all of college football is getting the season completed. Finishing the season. Period. That's it. I kind of feel like that's the dirty little secret with this year. Because I was having a conversation the other day about college football and, and the chat got towards, well, you, how, how is the playoff committee going to view this or that? Or what happens if a game gets canceled because of a of this? Or, or what happens if a team loses a starting quarterback for two weeks because of coronavirus? And then what about scheduling and the playoff scenarios and on and on and on? And listen, all those conversations are real and valid, and but they kind of feel secondary to what everyone's mission is this year. And that mission is finish the season without a total catastrophe. Usually each year, college football fans and media members and the playoff committee, are they're all focused on one goal or viewing things through one lens. And that is make the season fair, make it right, the, the structure, make it balanced and reward the best team and all that. And I know I'm oversimplifying, but usually the mission or focus or lens to view things is the competitive structure and crowning the best team and those kinds of things. Well, I think that's different this year. I think with all the moving parts and variables with navigating college football teams from coast to coast, playing football with the virus out there, I think if you injected some truth serum into college football at large, their main goal is to just finish the season. That's it. Now, that's not to say to hell with what it looks like or how it's structured. I mean, let's not get crazy. But it is to say... Let's just hope that we finish the season. If if at the end of the season, the most spirited debates and topics that are top of mind are things like, you know, can can do you think two SEC teams can get in the playoff? Well, I mean, can you really can you lose your conference championship game and still get in the playoff? I don't know, man. Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, who do we think? Heisman, who what do you think? If those are the conversations being had around Thanksgiving, that is a total success this year. You take it and be happy. And how you arrive at those points, whatever. (laughs) Don't get too bent out of shape about the little things in the meantime that pertain to how we arrived at those arguments around Thanksgiving that pertain to actual football or how you'd, quote, usually view the game of football and the season and all that. If a game gets canceled because of an outbreak or something or because two teams can't agree on testing protocol, so be it. If the entire starting defensive line for a top 10 team can't play in two games in conference play, so be it. And when I say so be it, that's not to dismiss it. I say so, be it in the spirit of actual football or or how you usually view things with football. Not in the spirit of not caring about health and safety and the well-being of others. You know what I mean? 
I'm, I'm saying that I think to a certain degree, if you are someone that plans on approaching this season and viewing this season 100% solely through the regular lens of football in the game, that's fine. But I think you're going to be super frustrated with a lot of different aspects of this year. Because again, I think if you injected true serum into all the major college football entities, the lens they are viewing this season is don't sweat the, the, the football stuff. Just complete the season, keep people as healthy as possible, avoid catastrophe, collect that paycheck, and that's it. Hey guys, quick break to talk to you guys about Pella windows and doors. And I, I want to make sure that you guys understand that Pella windows of Omaha and Lincoln, they're following CDC guidelines uh, during this coronavirus situation. They can safely serve any of your window and door needs in the showroom or in your home. All the employees at Pella and the customers are completing a COVID-19 questionnaire as provided by the CDC prior to entering the showroom, entering the office, and uh, any uh, potential customer's home. And all the employees are required to self-quarantine for a recommended 14 days if uh, that individual comes into contact with someone who's tested positive, if they traveled anywhere outside of the Omaha-Lincoln area. Bottom line, they are taking all the necessary precautions to make sure that they are safe and you are safe so you can safely move forward with your window and door needs. And uh, on top of all that, as a result of all this stuff with the coronavirus, uh, Pella is offering temporary special financing options. They are now available. So man, now is the time to take advantage of these special rates and uh, put that value back into your home, and you have that peace of mind knowing that all the necessary safety uh, protocol and precautions have been uh, put into place by Pella, so you know the whole time you can feel safe. Give Pella a call, 402-493-1350, or check them out online at PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. Maybe I'm going cuckoo with no sports for so long. And Am I crazy for thinking like this? Like, I'm kind of viewing college football and college basketball this year, like it's not going to be perfect. Let's just try to make it work and get through it. It's almost like, let me give you an analogy here. It's almost like lunch when you are starving at home and in a rush and you don't have time to cook anything or like go somewhere. We've all been in those spots, right? You're running late for like a meeting or you got some and you're, you're starving and you're at home and you, there are days where you just kind of make it work, right? It's kind of like, okay, let me see what we got. Okay, I guess I'll have that one piece of leftover pizza from last night. I'll have this bowl of cereal and some almonds and call it good. <laughs> right? It's it's not ideal, right? Guy Fieri in Diners, Drivers, and Dies is like, today we're checking out some cold pizza, some cereal, and some almonds. Woo! Flavor town. You know, that's not how it usually is. It's 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 not ideal. It doesn't even really all fit together under normal circumstances, but you make it work given the circumstances. Now, obviously, you don't want to make a habit out of that and have all your meals be nonsensical and thrown together like that, but every once in a while, you got to make it work, right? That's how I'm looking at college football and college basketball this year. 
with all the moving parts and all the variables and all the teams coast-to-coast trying to play a 12-game schedule for college football and a 30- or 35-game schedule for college basketball with the virus out there. It's not going to be perfect. It's most likely not going to be normal. But you just got to make it work. With the main goal is being just like finish the season with everybody avoiding catastrophe, staying as healthy as possible, all that. And listen, maybe I'm being too pessimistic and thinking there will be more obstacles out there than there will be. But I'm kind of I'm I'm the kind of guy that oftentimes braces himself for the for the worst and hopes for the best. And that's kind of where I'm at with with college football and college basketball. I hope that the season goes off and looks and feels relatively normal. But if it doesn't, and things get a little choppy, things get a little crazy, things get a little weird, things usually you'd be like, well, how, they didn't play in that game. What about this and what about that? I just think the main focus should be just make it work, get through it, and finish it. Make it work, get through it, and finish it. All right, that's the – because this thing changes like week to week, month to month with how you view sports and what it's going to look like. That's what, that's as of January – or January, June 14th, that's kind of what I'm I'm seeing things. All right, there's topic number two. We're on to third topic or third down, if you will. Because I've gotten – I want to talk a little NBA for a second because I've gotten a few emails and tweets asking me about my thoughts on the NBA's return to the Orlando bubble at Disney World. 22 teams, 13 Western Conference teams, nine Eastern Conference teams. There's going to be eight regular season games, then a potential play-in for the eight seeds. The season will run from July 31st, and a Game 7 of the NBA Finals would be October 12th. So there was some excitement around all that, and then some of this momentum got torpedoed by Kyrie Irving voicing his concerns about the NBA's return and this Orlando bubble and all this stuff on a variety of levels. You know, concerns about the virus and, and questioning whether they should be more focused on activism with the protests that are still going on across our country. So a lot to unpack with the NBA's return. With Kyrie Irving's concerns, I am, I am of the mindset that you can do both. You can play basketball, finish the season, and still be active in the fight against racism and what's going on with the protests and all those things, right? I don't think those things have to be at odds. I don't think it has to be one or the other. And I think the reality is sometimes the best way to make a change is through the platform that is basketball in this instance, and that stage and that element of celebrity, if that makes sense. I'm certainly not minimizing Kyrie Irving and others' efforts and desires to stay active in the fight against racism. Of course they should. We all should. I just think you can do both. I think you can play basketball and you can you know, fight racism. But I will say this, Kyrie's concerns about the NBA's return shifting the focus off the issues at hand with racism and the protests is 100% a valid one. I don't think there's any question 
that the absence of sports and other distractions has heightened the entire reaction to the protests and the conversation surrounding George Floyd's death and social reform in terms of racial injustices and inequality across our country. I don't think there's any question about that. I think that's not even debatable. I mean, I think it's a perfect storm. It's not just that. It's also the coronavirus, and you've had, you know, people have been locked up at home, and a lot of people are out of work, and there's a lot, you know, emotions are raw and heightened and all those things. But I don't think there's any question that that element of of what Kyrie's pointing out is a real one. I mean, the second Bron Bron and Kawhi and Paul George and Russell Westbrook and, and Giannis are out there and playing, like, you're going to – parts of, of the conversation and the attention are going are gonna to shift a little bit. So that is certainly something to navigate if you're the NBA or you're the players who are who are active in this fight for lack of a better term. It's a real thing. With with Kyrie and his virus concerns, and it's not just Kyrie Irving, it's a, it's maybe it's some other people too. I can I can totally understand the trepidation with this Orlando bubble. I can. I mean, stop and really think about it. Stop and really think about going and living in a real-life bubble, being isolated and stuck for potentially two and a half months in Orlando on uh, the Disney World campus and all that without for two and a half months without potentially seeing friends and families and kids and et cetera. Like, and you're like stuck there. You can't just like leave and go do... That's already not ideal. But it's even less ideal when you throw out the virus threat. You know what I mean? So I get it. But at the same time, with all the testing and protocols in place and containment of the environment itself, one could argue that this Orlando bubble could be one of the safer places to be. You could make that argument. Who knows? I think a lot of this comes back to individual risk, right? Do we want to shut down life until there's a vaccine or do we want to try to live life taking the necessary precautions during that process? And and risk is is funny to think about in some ways. I heard someone put it this way, and it's not the best analogy, but I think it's an interesting one, and I think you'll get the point. So I don't know what the exact number is. Oh, there, there, there are over a million over a million people die each year from car accidents, right? Like million over a million deaths each year, over a million deaths annually from car accidents. We could effectively take that number down to damn near zero deaths if we change the speed limit to five miles per hour, right? If we focused on that cause of death, and wanted to truly minimize it and try to take that number down as much as possible. If we change the speed limit to five miles per hour, there would basically be zero car accident deaths. But we don't do that because we all kind of agree that that isn't realistic. Again, not a perfect analogy, but it just shows you an example of assumed risk that we all take on collectively with life, and we don't even necessarily think about it. I think on some level, there is some of that with the virus and life and sports. 
Now, let me be crystal clear. I'm not an anti-science, anti-coronavirus person that you see on Twitter. I'm not I'm not one of those guys. I I think we need to be responsible and take all the precautions necessary to try to keep everyone as safe as possible. I I am I I am of that school of thought. But it's but risk is an interesting one if you really think about it. And I think a lot of this even back to the college football, college basketball, and now to the NBA, like a lot of it comes back to that. So back to the bubble. I think it's about as safe as the NBA can make it. So now it's on each individual to think about the risk with all that. And I don't begrudge anyone that doesn't feel safe or comfortable and go going to play. And obviously I can't tell anyone what to do. Neither can the NBA. They have to make that decision individually. But, but I will say this, with regards to all these concerns that, that were just kind of talked about with the bubble and all that stuff, if LeBron James is playing, if LeBron wants to play, they are playing, period. Patrick Beverly tweeted saying the same thing. I get that a a bunch of players are raising concerns and they are very valid ones. But the reality is, and this is a true example of the power and stature of LeBron James, it all comes down to his decision. If he wants to play, they are playing. They are playing. I mean, really try to picture the NBA resuming and LeBron being at home in this scenario. If he wants to play, they're playing. Now, as far as the structure of how the NBA is is going to resume in this Orlando bubble and what they're doing with you know actually playing the games and and then structuring the postseason, I for one am glad they aren't getting too gimmicky with it. Now, I thought a lot about this while every idea in the world was being thrown out there with how to structure this thing. You know, I think they should do it like the NCAA tournament. And then, no, I think they should do like like soccer and do you know do you know, put them in groups and all that. And lost in all the those conversations was the fact that the biggest driving force behind what they're doing is to make sure people view this legitimately. Otherwise, what are we doing? Make sure people view this legitimately and take this as serious as you can given the circumstances. That is both for the players and for the fans watching. People have already thrown out the asterisk narrative, right? You heard you heard that before even the Orlando bubble got thrown out there. Well, you know, whoever wins this title, there's going to be an asterisk by it. Well, you know, there's going to be an asterisk with whoever's, you know, wins this ring. That narrative is there. It's already out there. So what you don't want to do is feed into it by making the playoffs gimmicky and totally different. To me, that is pouring gasoline on the asterisk narrative. So I like that they are, you know, how they're structuring things, and I like that they are tweaking some things with the eight seed and maybe a plan stuff and who's all coming. I'm cool with it only being 22 teams instead of every team in the league and, and a play-in deal for the eight seeds. But I like that once the playoffs start, it's going to look 
and feel and be like how it's always been in terms of a playoff structure. I do like that. One last thing on the NBA from a basketball perspective. I think one of the most challenging things is figuring out a way for the NBA to reward the regular season with this. Like if we're if we're just looking at it from like a basketball perspective for a second. I mean, teams like the Milwaukee Bucks and the Lakers grinded and worked their ass off to be one seeds and have home court advantage. And now with the bubble and playing at a neutral site with no fans, all that work is kind of erased. I don't know how you do it, but it would be nice if the NBA could find a way to reward the teams that had home court with some sort of advantage. Because you better believe that's a huge deal in the playoffs. It's a big deal. It's a real thing. So I'll be curious what, if anything, the NBA does on that front. So there you go. Look, three topics in about 30 minutes. Three topics in 30 minutes. That'll do it, man. Again, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Make sure you leave a five-star rating and a review. Uh... It all helps. It all makes a difference. All right, my thanks to Pella Windows and Doors. If you're thinking about a new window or a new front door, now is the perfect time. Give Pella a call at 402-493-1350 or check them out online at PellaOmaha.com. We will see you next time on the Nick Bob Podcast. Production.